This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome back to Self Work, our 301st episode. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I began this podcast six years ago, almost, to extend the walls of my practice to many groups. Those of you who might already be interested in psychological and emotional issues, maybe you're in therapy yourself, to those of you who've just been diagnosed or you have some kind of problem that you think maybe a therapist could help you with, or to a third group of you, to those of you who might be very skeptical about the whole idea of mental health treatment or think psychologists and therapists are kind of weird people, which I guess maybe we are a little bit, but you're looking for answers and you're sadly unhappy enough to need them. Welcome to all of you and any of you who might not fit those particular labels, but you're here. I so appreciate you being here. Today, we're going to talk about what's termed emotional incest. Please be aware that you could be triggered by this episode if abuse is in your past, and I'll share links to helplines. Now, emotional incest isn't the same as sexual incest, but can certainly cause its own type of damage. It's defined as when a parent turns to a child to meet their emotional needs instead of turning to an adult. We'll talk about how it happens and how it's so often missed since it can appear as if all is normal when it's not at all. And of course, what you can do about it. The listener voicemail is from someone who used what she called discipline to parent her own kids, but now those grown-up kids have some resentment. We'll talk about what she could do. Before we go further, however, let's hear from Athletic Greens or AG1 with their most recent offer for self-work listeners. Our partner, AG1, has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens, frankly, because they were interested in sponsoring self-work, and I never recommend something to you without trying it first. With one scoop of AG1, whose taste is somewhere between sweet and tart to me, you'll get 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I love it because whether I'm home and about to go out for a walk or traveling and about to spend time with friends and family, I can start my day proactively, knowing I'm doing something for my own self-care. If you're like me, self-care can get lost for sure. In fact, its founder, after having severe gut issues, realized he was taking over $100 a day worth of supplements, which had their own very complicated dosage routine, so he created Athletic Greens. To make it easy, and because you're a self-work listener, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is to visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So let's begin by talking about emotional incest. This again is a dynamic I know pretty well, and I'll offer some of my own personal experience.
My mother's name had to come up as a problem, not only in my first marriage, but in my second, before I began to fully recognize that my relationship with her and lack of boundaries with her was truly a problem, and had been for a long time. I was very protective of her, as I firmly believed, and still do to a great extent, that the way she parented me was part of her effort for me never to feel as she had felt, invisible to her own mom, except as a target of criticism and shame. She inadvertently, however, created a similar result with me, but I'm getting ahead of myself. When my second marriage was on the rocks, my ex and I were in therapy, and I remember very well the assignment I was given to do, which was going to be my part to fix what was wrong in our relationship, and I was to confront my mom. I was to point out that we needed more separation, that I was going to further distance myself from her, knowing the ins and outs of my life, and count more on my own marital partner. It was a very uncomfortable and emotional lunch, and I'm sure if I had a recording of it, I was unfair to her. Because at that time, I believed that she knew what she was doing. Now, I mostly do not. Now, I can hear my own wavering, by the way, and I'm sure you can as well. That's the power of emotional incest. I was doing the right work, but simply with the wrong husband, I determined, after my ensuing divorce. But I continued to set those boundaries with my mom and to reinterpret what I'd seen in the past as coming from a place of love and caring to her actions as being part of a problem or enmeshment. It was a huge insight on my part and led to many healthy changes that took time but were worth it. I've podcasted about topics related to this before in episodes 62 and 224, and I'll have those links in the show notes for you. But those were mostly about mothers and daughters. I received an email from a listener who wanted to know more, but asked the question, can fathers be covertly enmeshed with their daughter? Of course, the answer is yes. Enmeshment can occur in the entire family. Let's talk about it for a second. If you think of a family as each individual in the family having a room and a house, enmeshed families have either no walls between the rooms or very, very thin ones. The belief of the family as severely enmeshed is that there should be no real independence, very little if any conflict. What's valued is intense loyalty to each other and being different is seen as a threat. What can become confusing is when this need for strong control over children is couched in terms of being loving and caring, so that a child not wanting that kind of attention is defined as not being grateful. Let's say in that house you wanted to close your door, and your parents said, you're not grateful about how much we care about you and want to know about your life. These are families where everyone knows everyone else's business, where children are expected to follow the guidelines and lifestyles that their parents have chosen for them. And if you don't, you're often labeled as not grateful. So I talked a lot about enmeshment in episode 224 and the ramifications it can have in your life. So if you want to know more in general about enmeshment, I would certainly suggest you listen to that episode. But let's move on to emotional incest. I first heard the term years ago when I was in grad school, about the time of that second divorce, because it was the title of the book Pat Love had just written. My best friend and I went to go hear her talk, which was a fascinating talk for me. The book was The Emotional Incest Syndrome, and it's long been an important book in the literature. She does stress that it's important to remain loyal to the parent, and not all people can do that. 
Sometimes estrangement or separation can be necessary. So if you get the book and you want to read it, The Emotional Incest Syndrome, please know that I don't particularly agree with her that you've always got to remain intensely loyal to the parent. Sometimes that's just not possible. But what specifically is emotional incest? It's when a parent's need for a child consumes the relationship, and what the parent should be receiving from the other parent is instead sought from the child. This stops short of sexual intimacy, which of course is actual incest, but the damage can be great for many, many reasons. Now, even the boundaries of physical closeness can be breached, and we'll talk about that in a minute. In a Psych Today article, it was described this way, and I quote, Such parents may be living with mental illness, substance abuse, an unhappy marriage, or divorce. In essence, such parents feel alone and unloved, and rather than seek support from other adults, they turn to their children for intimacy and care. They may burden children with their own needs, constantly seek their validation, become emotionally or psychically clingy, or try to control the child. In seeking comfort from their child, they are asking their child in a way to become their parent. While some children may find this exciting, the excitement quickly wears off. The parent's emotional needs become overwhelming. Few children caught in such a dynamic can meet all the needs of the parent. I would add to that last paragraph, I think it's a bit limiting actually, Emotional incest can lead to a sense of the child taking the role of the parent, and I think that's most often when the parent is suffering mental illness or addiction. It can become a reparenting of sorts. You're offering that parent what they've never gotten, and they don't have the mental stability to understand what they're doing to you. So they use you as someone they can count on to listen and support them and even fix things for them. But I've also seen something different. And it's likely to happen when the parent is more unhappy in their own marriage or there's been an actual divorce. So in this instance, the intensity of that parent's need or desire to be helpful or there for their children is very high, but there's an intrusiveness. There's not a lot of privacy. The child senses the parent's need for them and simply goes along with it. They don't realize that there are other children who get on with their own individual lives without that much parental involvement. The parent looks highly responsive and responsible. In fact, maybe the other parent looks indifferent or underinvolved, and the family system limps along. The two adults have an empty relationship if they have one at all. The kids do thrive as kids, but the ramifications for them occur later as they may go on to struggle with intimacy in other relationships. So again, I want to restate that. When there is mental illness or addiction, sometimes the child can become like a parent That's most often going to happen with that scenario. But I think it can turn into something a little different when there's a divorce or the parent is just more unhappy. They need to make that child the center of their lives because they don't have their own center. Two different scenarios with a similar result. Now, I know the term emotional incest is a dramatic term, and many people can react to that drama in a kind of an icky way. What do you mean I had an incestuous relationship with my father? He never touched me. That's gross. But what if that same dad is the dad who you feel is lonely in his marriage with your mom? Maybe she doesn't treat him very well. 
whether you're a daughter or a son, you call him every morning or you make sure you invite him to go along with your friends and you on trips or you don't make a decision without his input, again, that might be okay. But if it's tinged with, well, I need to call dad or dad needs me to do this, dad needs me to fill up his life, then you might want to look at that a little differently. When you see this as an adult, and that can be hard, you may have to fight off feelings of being disloyal to the parent by admitting it, or even angry with your therapist that they'd even suggest that something might be amiss in your relationship. My mom was always there for me. What are you talking about? Yes, she was. But because she had little to no relationship with your dad, or at least of any emotional depth, her need for you to be central in her life was partly due to her own loneliness and her need to fill that gap. And you relying on her for her opinions, her caring, her constant being there can interfere with your ability to have healthy emotional intimacy with a new partner. Because you see what can happen is your own need for that parent to be there grows. They're always there and you can become dependent on them. In fact, it can become a mutually overly dependent relationship and oh, so entangled and all the while looking like love. I can't stress enough that this can be very hard to see because it can look like a very caring relationship. And in many ways, it is caring. But it's also fueled by the parents' need and their emptiness. And they may be very blind to it themselves. Maybe that was the way they were with one of their parents. They were also so close that they just had nothing private and nothing confidential. No one had any secrets. So normal boundaries where you wait and choose who and what you want to say about your private adult relationship, you share a little too readily. Or they had to parent their own parents, so they are determined to be a great parent to you. So we're going to get to more examples, and as always, what you can do about it. But first, here's a message from another of this week's sponsors, Ozark Mountain Medicine's CBD products, which I've used for three years, and I love them. Diagnosed with degenerative disc in my back when I was in my 20s, I've long been a seeker of alternative ways to help reduce inflammation. And I can't believe that the best product I've ever found is produced here in Northwest Arkansas. Ozark Mountain Medicine, located on a small boutique farm in the Ozark Mountains under the careful watch of CBD guru Bill Morgan, is a grassroots operation which produces some of the highest quality CBD available on the market. Unlike marijuana, which contains THC, which is what makes it mood-altering, CBD isn't the same and is legal in all states. Ozark Mountain Medicine's products contain at least 16 varieties of hemp, where other CBD products may use only one. Think of it as a healing gumbo for your joint and muscle aches, and you've got the picture. What's most important to me and to you is that it works. I've been told at least three times in my life that I needed to be reassessed for back surgery. And three times I've kept walking, getting massages, and for the last three years, steadfastly using this product. You can take it orally in tincture form, or calming salves are available, which is what I prefer. The other benefits of taking it include immune support, increased relaxation, reduced anxiety, and improved sleep. So here's their fabulous offer for self-work listeners. All you have to do is use this promo link, ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash self-work, and you'll receive 10% off your order. I never suggest a product to you that I haven't used myself, and I reap this one's benefits each and every day. That code again is ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash selfwork. Sometimes the best solutions are right under your nose. So try a bit of Ozark Mountain Medicine CBD and see for yourself. 
Once again, referring to Sean Grover's article in Psych Today on signs that you may have suffered childhood emotional incest, here are the three signs that he gives. And actually, I'll offer a couple more. Number one, you have difficulty sustaining intimate relationships. Your romantic relationships start strong, and you may have great honeymoon periods, but they tend to decline quickly as emotional intimacy is expected. You start to distrust your partner, feel insecure, or trapped. Number two, dissociation, confusion, or distancing yourself from your romantic partner. You may start to pull away without explanation. Sex becomes unsatisfying, even revolting. You may grow inexplicably cold, critical, and become quick to find fault with them, or blame your partner for your discomfort. We're going to talk about these in more depth in a minute. But number three is you have panicky responses to intimacy, such as flight or fight. And as fear grows, you may invent a reason to stop seeing a partner or ghost them completely. Sometimes you initiate fights to get a partner to break up with you. Either way, you are in flight from the relationship. You can hopefully hear in these three signs that there is a basic insecurity or ignorance about how to consistently trust, especially when conflict arises or when disappointment occurs. In the second, where the romance dies, you become angry with your partner for their wanting to be in your life in a real way, and you take out the silent anger on your new partner instead of expressing the anger that you may have felt with that parent. The idea of closeness or intimacy overwhelms you. You don't know where you stop and someone else begins, so you scorn it and them. And the third, where you panic and may stop seeing your partner or ghost them, is also basic fear. You find fault easily. You find a reason to leave. You panic when someone begins to want you in their life consistently. That feels all too familiar. And you may even protect the parent who you believe would feel replaced if you began honestly loving and sharing your life with someone else and then began to distance from them. I think there are a couple of other signs, and these are ones that I certainly showed. First, there's a belief that it's okay for your parent to live their life through yours. I invited my mom to things that I look back on now and realize how strange it was that she was there. I felt I owed her. Her own life hadn't been as full as mine, and I had plenty to share. I almost felt guilty for being happier with myself than she was with herself, even with all the obvious chaos of mine. But at least it was my life. She'd lived her own life only coloring in the lines, and I'd lived mine coloring however I wanted to. So if you feel that way, I think it's a clue. Live through me. It's okay. I invite you to do that. And here's another sign. If you feel guilty for wanting a relationship with your other parent, a healthy parent will want you to have a good relationship with both of your parents, no matter if there's been a divorce. But if they seem reluctant for you to do that, or they sulk or pout or give you lots of nonverbal reactions that they don't like it, or say they feel funny about you having a relationship with your mother or dad, those are covert ways to try and control you. I well remember when I was 24 or 25, I asked my dad to join me for lunch where I was living, and that was about 45 minutes away from my hometown. He was surprised, asking immediately if I wanted him to bring my mom. I said no. I'd been in therapy and was just beginning to realize I didn't have a relationship with him. And I asked him at that lunch if he'd work on getting to know me as I wanted to know him better. 
We both got tears in our eyes. It took us a couple of decades, but we did it, and my mom was never quite happy about it. It's one of those things I could just tell. There's another very, very important dynamic about emotional incest that we need to discuss. Emotional incest can be a precursor or a grooming for actual sexual incest. You'll hear things like, you're my special girl or boy, or you understand what dad needs, or whatever. You don't know this is a child, you just feel special, and you're getting attention, which feels good. Maybe even special rides or treats or gifts. This is something that can't be underestimated. I've heard this story many times that what was termed play became more and more sexual, or what seemed like wonderful attention turned into daily abuse. Or a grandparent who comes to take you fishing and in the midst of teaching you how to fish or taking a break from that, something sexual occurs. It's highly confusing. So what can you do about emotional incest? Of course, as children, we're dependent on the adults around us to protect us. And at times, there's so much dysfunction in a family that what's going on with you isn't even noticed. The changes in your mood or a sense of agitation, not doing as well in school, or not wanting to come home from school. And of course, if it's simple emotional incest, it can seem like your parent is just a great parent, interested in anything and everything you do. So there's not a whole lot you can do about it as a child. Of course, with sexual abuse and incest, you can try to tell someone safe, a teacher, an aunt or an uncle, someone who would help you do something about it. But as an adult, you can learn to understand emotional incest. Awareness is what's first and foremost. It can seem as if you're coming unglued when you realize that what you've been calling love is more about need and or control than anything. And you'll begin to look at all your relationships differently when you do. And that, again, can feel as if your world is breaking apart. You also need to assess what's going on with your own children Are you out of a sense of caring, being too intrusive or taking too much responsibility for them, not letting them have their own privacy? Or can you look at your relationship with them and say, no, they are their own people and I am supporting who they are. I may not be very happy in my own relationship, but I'm not turning to my children. I've got good friends or whatever it is. I will say that this is a very difficult thing to see when you are the perpetrator of it. When you have turned to a child to meet your emotional needs, it's very humbling to understand what you did and why you did it and to realize that it did damage to your child. I have worked with some parents who have done this work with their children, and it is awesome what can happen. Because again, so often, the intention is good. It's just some overcorrection. But if there's significant mental illness then sadly those kinds of boundaries being intruded upon are not going to be recognized by the parent. And slowly but surely, the child needs to learn how to put them up themselves, not in anger, but simply to create those boundaries as necessary. So if some bells have come on during this episode, the best thing you can do is get more information. Become more aware of what you might have felt in your gut wasn't right, or certainly not like what your friends' relationships with their parents were, or are, and start wondering what it would be like to have a little more freedom and distance. I'll say one more time, but in a different way, 
you're likely not to get a lot of support for making these changes. Your increasing independence or living your own life more privately may not be welcome and even viewed as you being ungrateful or disloyal. I'll share with you that it makes me quite sad to realize that my own mom and I never discussed this dynamic objectively in our relationship. But I did with my dad. I asked him, So why, when I called home, did you pass the phone automatically to my mom and not ask me questions or tell me about your life? And he simply looked at me and said, Because your mom needed you more. You know, that's all I needed to hear. He loved her so much, and I wasn't angry with him. I could understand his action and his choice, given what he knew at the time. So I got it. And I was so glad to have that kind of healing with him, because he knew that that wasn't the greatest thing to do. I certainly have been an imperfect parent, as we all are. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. The listener voicemail today is from someone whose children, now more than grown, seem resentful about the way they were raised, with discipline. But from her point of view, she did it better than her own parents, who raised her in fear. Hello. I have never gone to therapy, and I don't know where to begin. I have three children that I raised. They're pretty good kids overall. They're educated. But the way I raised them was with discipline. And now they are in their 30s. And the way I was raised was fear. And I need to know how to help them because I feel like they feel resentment towards me because of the way I raised them. Can you please direct me to the right episode or the right book. Thank you. Childhood rearing practices have changed vastly through the decades. We've gone from children are seen and not heard to we can't do that because Lauren has a soccer game, here in the U.S. at least. We've become much more child-centered. I'm sure that as all of you listen to this listener's story, some of you thought, those kids should be glad she was their mom. They need to be grateful. While others thought, When I try to talk to my mom about some things, she just gets defensive and says she did the best she could. I've heard this kind of debate over and over, and what's missed here is perspective and trying to have empathy. The first thing I might say to this listener is that I don't really know of one book or one episode for her to read or listen to that would make this right. She only has control over her part, which is something many of you hear me say a lot. It sounds certainly as if she didn't want to instill fear, I'm not sure what she meant by discipline. Maybe that was harsh. I don't know. It does sound certainly as if she's taking it on herself to fix things, and her children are grown. What I would hope is that she and her family could sit down together with a mediator, maybe a therapist, to allow a discussion where no one is seeking to be seen as right, that everyone understands and accepts that each person's perspective has value, but it's important to try to see things from someone else's perspective. So much of what can be seen and read on social media these days has nothing to do with this kind of empathy. Empathy doesn't get likes. It doesn't necessarily get retweeted or shared. Empathy is quiet. It may seem much more boring than a screaming free-for-all, but it's what needs to happen for trust and understanding to develop and be maintained. 
the sentence, I've never thought about how that might have affected you, or I've never tried to see it from your perspective, but now I do, can have incredible power. Perhaps the best book about the power in language and empathy is the simple book, The Four Agreements, by Don Michelle Rees. He's a religious author, and his book has had universal appeal. Those four agreements are, be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personally, don't make assumptions, and always do your best. I'll read those again. Be impeccable with your word, meaning be careful with what you say and realize your words have impact. Don't take anything personally, meaning don't make everything your partner says or does about you or your family member. Don't make assumptions. Don't think you know what someone else may think or why they did what they did. Always do your best, meaning just always try to live by your best values. Perhaps many of us would feel that these four agreements are impossible to achieve, but I think we can try, especially in difficult discussions. Good luck to this listener. Thank you all for being here as we welcome the 400 episodes <laughs> that we're going to create here at Self Work with your help. I would love to hear from any and all of you who might have ideas for directions you would like Self Work to go. We're thinking about it, and I want to keep this vibrant and alive for all of you who do me the honor and my team the honor of listening to Self Work. And you know, I've always forgotten to ask you to subscribe. <laughs> subscribe wherever you listen to Self Work. Be that Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. You can subscribe to my website as well, drmargaretrutherford.com, and that's an easy way to keep in touch with me. But subscribe, and you'll get my weekly episode as well as some bonus stuff we do from time to time. Again, thank you all for being here. Take very good care of yourself, of those you love, and of your community. Maybe think about those four agreements. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.